Proverbs and chapter 14. Proverbs 14, and let's read verses 12 to 15. Proverbs 14, 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Even in laughter the heart may ache, and the end of joy may be grief. Backslider and heart will be filled with the fruit of his ways. A good man will be filled with the fruit of his wages. The simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. And so we're going to think about these verses, and particularly verses 12 and 15, to see how they tie together. Well, we're told in uh, the book of Judges that in those days, this is probably the most famous verse in the book, in those days there was no king, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. In other words, they lived according to the dictates of their heart. What seemed right to them, what seemed practical or expedient. They weren't guided, in other words, by the Word of God. The Word of God was, uh, was not to a great extent being spoken in that day. God was not communicating with His people. And so you, you find that that was the case much through the time of the judges up until the time of Samuel. So everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And in this verse, that is the way that the fool lives. Uh, there is a way that seems right to a man. And often that is our default position. We live according to our senses. We live according to what seems right to us. Even sometimes when we approach the Word of God, we filter it through uh, our own likes and dislikes, our own prejudices and so on. And so what ends up coming out in, in, in our lives is something very different. And we're all like that. We all, including myself, I find when I, I look at something, I'll say, I know what this says, but when it comes down to actually doing it, I find it coming out in my life in a very different way. And so we all fall into this trap of doing what seems right to ourselves. And so the warning here is not to judge by appearances, not to judge by feeling, not to judge by our own uh, uh, personal thoughts, especially when it comes to the way of salvation. And that's what he says there when it says that the end, the way, but its end is the way of death. That which leads to death, that which leads to separation from God. He's not simply talking about uh, physical death because we all uh, end up dying at some point or another as we were uh, seeing uh, this morning uh, in that very uplifting sermon on the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Uh, but it, it comes to us all. The pale rider uh, visits us all as it were. And so he's looking beyond here to something more profound and uh, he's really getting at the idea of salvation and that it is uh, endemic to the natural man to choose his own way of salvation and so you see the plethora of human uh, religions around the world there's there are many 
And even within the major religions, there are little subsets of religious sects within those groups. And so it, it, it's, it's, uh, th this whole principle is ubiquitous throughout the whole of the human race. And so this is the natural way of man to do that which seems right in his own eyes. Uh, Paul says in Galatians, he makes this warning, if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So that was a, even uh, amongst the Judaizers, the people that Paul was writing against in Galatians, uh, that, that was a problem. People who think they're something when they are nothing. People who think that they are right with God through their actions and their interpretation of Scripture when they are, not, he doesn't just say slightly mistaken, when they are nothing, he deceives himself. One person has written very uh, uh, um, clearly about this. He says, more go down to hell under that misconception than any other. More go down to hell under that misconception than any other. He goes on to say, industry, sobriety, honesty, these are the extents of its demands. These are the extents of human religion. In other words, morality. If I'm hardworking, if I'm sober in my, my, uh, my thinking, my acting, and so on, if I'm honest, and uh, these sorts of things, this is the extent. I'm sure God is pleased with this. God helps those who help themselves. <laughs> that's, that's a common saying. And uh, he goes on to say, if these are conformed to, society approves and applauds. Because they are diligent in business, they don't deceive anyone, they pay every man his due, and so they consider their way to be right. They allow then society to judge uh, what is right and what is wrong. They allow they allow their idea of salvation to be shaped by what society has decided is um, what is right and what is wrong. That is uh, taken to another degree even within the church. Some may congratulate themselves that they're regular in church or conf are, are, are doing all the things that church people ought to do, giving well, tending church, all of these things with some pass for religion. But it can be simply a mechanism. It's, a, it's simply a, a, a way of going through the motions without any change of heart. And the, the Gospels teach us that, don't they? Jesus says about the scribes and the Pharisees that they tithe mint and cumin, <laughs> which is a very amazing picture of diligence they're tithing one for the lord nine for me one for the lord nine for me this is how particular they were about their religion dressing the right way making sure their tassels were just so wearing bits of the bible around their wrists and around their head and so on it became very formal and that became the means of salvation. And Jesus became very angry with that because he said, you're passing that off as salvation. You're passing kind of personal austerity off as salvation. 
don't eat this, don't go there, keep this day, uh, and, and so on. All of these things that they did, saying religion lies in what you do, what you accomplish. Paul says in Colossians, these things, in other words, do not taste, do not touch, do not handle. These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion. Where is, it, where, is it, where is its origin? Self. It's self-imposed. You're imposing it upon yourself. It's not being imposed from heaven. It's being self-imposed. In false humility, neglect of the body, but are of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. And so, people make up their own idea of what pleases God. And it seems so right to them. One of the most staggering stories in all the Bible is the story of Uzzah, the Kohathite. You'll remember uh, Uzzah as they were taking the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem on the back of an ox cart and the ox stumbled in the cart, the Ark of the Covenant was going to fall off onto the ground, and Uzzah reached out his hand. And when he did and touched the Ark, God struck him dead. That was a self-made religion. That was his own understanding. And certainly, there was a way that seemed right unto Uzzah, and the way thereof was death. Physical death. But perhaps more uh, ominous than that. The way seemed right to him. He was so convinced, and I'm sure many of us in the same position might do, do the very same thing. Reach out our hand to keep it from falling into the ground. But as one theologian uh, rightly put it, Uzzah assumed that the dirt on the ground was less holy than his own sinfulness, and it wasn't the case. Uzzah was more sinful than the mud and the mire that it was going to fall into. People, but I say that because people can be so convinced that they're right. That if they congratulate themselves, if they've thought through it, even though it doesn't line up with the Word of God, nevertheless, they are convinced in their own mind. And so sincerity uh, becomes the key to determining whether one is right. So you can be a Muslim or a, Buddha, or a Buddhist or you can follow the Dalai Lama or you can do whatever it is. And many Christians are saying today, and you can read the polls and the, the, uh, the different uh, questionnaires that evangelicals are given. Do you believe that someone else from another religion can be saved if, they're sinc if they sincerely follow the tenets of their faith? And many, increasingly more and more evangelicals are saying, yes, if they're sincere, then God will uh, 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 save them. It doesn't matter what they believe as long as they are sincere. And again, it flies directly in the face of this. It flies directly in the face of what Jesus said. Or Paul, where Paul goes to Athens and he says to all of those philosophers and all of those Stoics and uh, Epicureans and people who represent the religions of the world. And he says, God 
has commanded all men to repent, to turn from these things and to turn unto Him. There is one way, and God won't negotiate with that. It's not our sincerity, it's not our own thinking, it's not our own habits, but it is the Word of God. So mankind have concocted all sorts of things uh, to put in the place of the things that God has laid out as the way of salvation. So many sincerely follow these things, but never ever does the Bible say that sincerity is the key. One person has rightly said, if I eat poisonous fungi, sincerely believing that I'm eating edible mushrooms, that will not save me from death. It doesn't matter how sincere I am. I may look at you might wander through the pasture. <laughs> you might pick up the mushroom, as some people are inclined to do, and, and say, oh, that looks good, and eat it. It doesn't matter how, what you think, or what, you know, what you think it looks like. It's what's real. And what's true about that. The same is true when it comes to looking at ourselves. We may give ourselves a pass in terms of our morality and how we live since we were young, brought up, our practices, our habits, how we treat our neighbor, our families, how we are diligent about church and these things. And we give ourselves a pass. Proverbs 30 says, There are those who are clean in their own eyes, but are not washed of their filth. Again, it goes back to what we're saying at the beginning. We're judging by appearances. We're judging from man's perspective and not from God's perspective. That's what we've been seeing in Revelation. We're, we're seeing the throne room of heaven. We're seeing human history from heaven's perspective down. And so the writer of letters to, to the, the churches, in one of those letters, I believe it's Sardis, but I, I'll have to look at it. He, t- he says... You think that you're rich and prosperous and all these things, but you're really blind and naked. In other words, you need to see things from heaven's perspective and not from your perspective. So there are those who are clean in their own eyes, says Proverbs, and yet they are not washed of their filth. Sincerity doesn't cut it. We're told about how Lot's sons-in-law Uh, uh, laughed at Lot when he said that God was going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. They were convinced in their mind that such a thing would never take place. Interestingly enough, even now they have discovered the fact that archaeologists, secular archaeologists have discovered, even till today, that the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah were, were destroyed with sulfur raining from the sky. And they, you can go on YouTube, you can find all sorts of programs to, to uh, back that up and to verify that. But they were sincerely wrong, and their sincerity was proved wrong even to the present day. The archaeologists today are proving how, though they were sin- sincerely thought that they were right, were proving that they were very, very wrong. And so our conscience, what we deem as being right and wrong, must be informed by the Word of God. It must be informed by the Word of God. God has given us a conscience. 
And it, the conscience is good. The conscience is great to have. It would be terrible to live in a world where we didn't have a conscience. But God has given us the gift of our conscience, but that conscience needs to be informed by His Word. Therefore, it says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove. Be transformed. Let, the, let your conscience, let your determination of what's right and wrong be shaped by the truth of God's Word. Do you do that? Do we do that as a church? To be, to be able to honestly say, you know, my opinions on this, and my not just my opinions, but my practices have been shaped by God's Word in this way. My conscience is now tender about what I do here or there, or what I say. I used to say that before, but now I keep my mouth shut when it comes to that. Or I, I, I used to like doing this, but I don't do it anymore because ah, the Lord has just convicted me about that. I, you know, that's a wonderful thing to see progress in your life over the years. To say, I, I am changing. There's things I used to do, but I don't do anymore. What's happening? Your conscience is becoming shaped by the Word of God. Now, you can let other people impose their false ideas upon you that God hasn't imposed. That's why it's important to go to the Word of God. There's a way that seems right unto a man. But wait now, we have to wait and say, there's a way, we have to go to the way that seems right unto God. Not man. Man can make up all sorts of rules. Don't do this. Don't go there. Imposing all sorts of things on our conscience that the Word of God doesn't and we're not to allow people to do that. And so that way that seems right must be changed. It must be hammered at by, the, by God's Word. And though God's Word does that, it, it shapes our thinking. It challenges us. It comes right up against our thinking as what we what constitutes salvation in our hearts and lives. And then when we are saved, it comes at us again to re to change our opinions about spending our money, about marriage, about work, all these things. It just keeps coming up at us. That's why we're constantly being shaped and transformed by the Word of God. Because even as Christians, there is a way that seems right unto us. Even as Christians, we're often acting on impulse or feeling or what I want to do in this occasion or that occasion. And so we have to be open to allow God's Word to say as David, search me, O God, and try my anxious thoughts. Help me to see that... Uh, I'm being shaped by your word. As we were singing in Psalm 119, that's the constant refrain there, isn't it? Teach me your paths, O Lord. Incline my heart to keep your statutes and commandments. Oh, that my ways were, were you know, conformed to your uh, uh, laws and commands. This is what he's crying out for. Because he knows that there's a way that seems right to people, but the way thereof is death. And so he says that there is a way that seems right, but the path is 
death. Ultimately, in the ultimate sense of salvation, it leads to eternal separation from God. That's why Jesus says in the passage we read in Matthew 7, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. In other words, if that is the case with the human race, with most people, then it's important for us to be constantly warned. And I'm sure this is not the, that's not the first time and the only time Jesus said that. Jesus was very economical with his words. Jesus repeated things again and again from time to time in different places that he went. He, I'm sure he did. I'm sure he said that Sermon on the Mount in different places. By rivers and homes and all sorts of different uh, venues. Because people needed to re be reminded of that. Because it's in the heart and mind of all of us to do what is expedient, to do what is right in our own eyes. And the path there leads to death. And of course, at the end of Matthew uh, chapter 7, he gives us in very graphic terms uh, what the end of that is. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man. Notice that word foolish. That's straight out of Proverbs. The fool and the wise who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. In other words, not only those who hear the word, but who are putting into practice. Those who hear the word and do it, Jesus emphasizes. So the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. And so the warning in Ephesians, let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. We must be steadfast. And when if we are overcome with the sense of what seems right and does not agree with the Word, you've got to call that what it is. That's of the devil. That's that, that is not of the way of God. No matter how good your life looks, no matter how convinced you are that when you're uh, uh, done of this life and you stand before God, God's going to accept you. No matter how convinced, if it doesn't, if the, the foundation of that and the reason for that does not line up with the Word of God, then you must put that to death. You must put it behind you. You must go to God and say, Lord, I, I, I'm, I'm, I feel pretty happy with myself. I feel quite convinced. I, I, I feel quite right, but it's not lining up with this. And so you with all haste, go to God, take it to God, ask God to show you from His Word the truth of these things. And so, there is a way that seems right unto a man, but the end, but its end is the way of death. And so we've seen on, on different occasions through the Bible 
how people being convinced in their own mind of the right path and where that ultimately leads. Whether it's Uzzah, whether it's Nadab and Abihu offering strange fire to the Lord, or whether it's Nicodemus, this seasoned uh, uh, Pharisee who comes to Jesus by night and says, we know, we know, we know. He was a, no doubt, a very moral man. A very faithful man in the synagogue. He was, no doubt, an exemplary citizen. A good father. A good neighbor. And yet, it comes down to this. Jesus says, look, unless you are born again, you will not enter the kingdom of God. And so the Bible is very clear driving us mercilessly, relentlessly into that place where we yield only to the grace of God in Jesus Christ. We put away all pretenders. We put away everything that, that looks good in terms of self-imposed religion. And there are many people who have congratulated themselves in, on their religion. I go to this church, or I, I keep the Sabbath day, or I try to do this, and I try to do that, and I'm very moral and all these things. But friends, those are pretenders. Those are, those are the, 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 the fruits of salvation. They're not the roots. They're not the basis for salvation. And to simply lean on those, no matter how religious they look, how godly they look, how impressive they look. It really leads to death. And so it is the Bible that is driving us, driving us, driving us relentlessly. That's the, that's the, that's the mission of the minister. To be like the big bad wolf who huffs and puffs and blows your house down. Week after week after week when, you, when you're trying to build your house on goodness and morality and the preacher comes along and puffs and puffs and blows your house down, blows it away, and next week you have to start again. You come back and next week it huffs and puffs and blows it down. And to, because the Bible calls us, calls ministers to continually pull the rug out from under people. If that foundation is not in the right place. And if you get annoyed or feel, uh, do I have to hear that again? God wants me to say it. That, that's, that's, the, that's the end of it. That God calls those who are in this pulpit to be constantly undermining self-salvation and to be speaking as clearly as the writer here. That there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death. Don't settle for substitutes, no matter how good they look. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. That's why blood runs red throughout the whole of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Adam and Eve, how were they saved? Except through those garments, those, the animal that had to die in their place. And the skins were put around them as a picture of the righteousness of Christ. They couldn't do it themselves. Their fig leaves, which is a picture of what seems right to a man, right? 
They sewed fig leaves together to cover their nakedness. And it was an abomination in the eyes of God. He, he took that away and gave them animal skins. Because that shows the natural tendency of a man to do what's right in their own eyes. And so the blood of, the, of Jesus runs through Genesis to Revelation. And that's why God is pushing us toward that end. The simple believe everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. And so the, the, the simple believes everything. He'll believe his heart. He'll believe whatever comes his way. If it's easy, if it seems right to him, he'll gobble it up. If his heart is telling him to eat, drink, and be merry, because God, he feels God is pleased with him, he'll believe that. But the prudent, the wise, gives thought to his steps. Now, the godly man in, in, uh, in the book of Proverbs, remember what he's like? He's the one who fears the Lord. The prudent, the wise man is the one who looks to the Word of God. Who trusts in God's way of salvation and not man's. That's what verse 15 has been establishing. Or verse 12. The way that seems right to a man, but the end is death. And so this is what the prudent does. The prudent is wise because he can understand truth from God's perspective. The prudent doesn't say, well, I've been more educated than you, of course. I've read a few more theological books, and I, you know, I've learned a thing or two above and beyond the unwashed masses. No. The prudent can be a little child. The prudent can be a humble little boy or girl who say, says, I believe that Jesus died for my sins. That's wise. That's fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And a little child can know it. We're not talking about theologians or preachers or elders or anybody like that. We're talking about even a little child can know those things. And so the prudent is this kind of person. They don't swallow everything. Not, they don't believe what everyone tells them. Not even their own heart but gives thought to his steps, thinks through their lives in the light of Scripture. Again, he's not a man that simply goes off and sits on top of a mountain or goes off to some kind of a, a, a monastery somewhere apart from it. No, he's the person, the wise person is in the Word of God saying, this is what constitutes salvation. This is what constitutes wise living. And therefore, I will give my heart to it. And again, we're not to think of the prudent as some kind of somebody with a PhD or somebody who's wildly, worldly wise or anything like that. It can be a very humble person. And that's where it, it, it must be a humble person. The person who, out of the fear of the Lord, submits their heart to the Word of God. That's why. Do we want to be wise? Do we want to be wise in the eyes of God? Well, 
what it looks like is submitting your heart to the Word. We've, we saw last week how he who is greater, he who controls his spirit, is greater than he who takes a city. He's greater than all the generals and people who overthrow cities and countries and do all these things, who, who are able to do these short-term things, but then their lives may be a best. But the person who, throughout their life, is able to control their passions in a godly way, they are greater than some of the greatest world leaders that have ever appeared. That's extraordinary. And so we were able to turn things upside down. Because what are you doing? You're seeing as God sees. You are agreeing that this is what greatness is. Not what the world says, oh, well, that's what that general did. That's what that CEO did. That, that's what we should attain unto. Them. They are so clever. They're so powerful. To take that city, to take that country, to win that war, God says, I'll show you something better. A man or a woman or a boy and girl who are able to in the moments of temptation or the hard moments of life, able to bring their spirit into submission to the sovereignty and the love and the truth of God and continue to act in a godly, righteous way through the whole thing, God says, that is greatness. There is a way that seems great to a man but that's not greatness, God says. And the same is true here. That real prudence, whether you are a PhD or a little child, is to submit oneself to the Word of God. And so John says, Believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God for you. Many false prophets have gone out into the world. We've been seeing that in our study of 1 John. And so what does John say? What, what is the constant refrain in, the first, in 1 John? you remember? As an antidote to what the false teachers were saying, he says, go back to what you learned at the beginning. Is this what you learned about the way of salvation? Go back there and stay there. And don't let anyone persuade you otherwise. Test all things. Hold fast to what is good, Paul says to the Thessalonians. Isaiah says to the law and to the prophets, if there is no light in these, if, 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 if they don't speak according to these, rather, there is no light in them. And so uh, the challenge is for us tonight is to seek to understand if I am to die, if I were to die tonight, what would be the basis of my hope and confidence? Would it be in myself? Is it simply on the basis of I have judged myself to lead a decent religious life and therefore I'm sure God will hear me? Or am I saying from the bottom of my heart, no, it's according to God's Word. I've put away the foolishness of self-righteousness. The lie of self-righteousness. The devilish lie of self-righteousness. And I have embraced the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ in the cross. 
That's where my hope lies. I will swing out into eternity on that truth. And the Bible says, at that moment, I am wise because I've embraced the wisdom of God, which is Jesus Himself. And may that be our course of action tonight. May we be truly wise in God's eyes as we embrace the way of salvation and the way of living that He has clearly set out in His Word. Let's pray. Blessed us now, O Lord, in the rest of this evening. We thank You for this day of rest, this day of reflection, of spending time in Your Word. And pray, O Father, that You would help us. Even we who are believers, Lord, that we would reject any kind of man-made um, way of living or righteousness that is not according to Your Word. And Lord, if there are any who are not yet embraced this truth, Lord, that You would make it clear to us. Please, Lord, to go with us in the remainder of our time together as we sing our parting psalm of praise. In Jesus' name, Amen.